What does it mean to be a true family member of Jesus? We'll find out today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Join us. We are looking at the true family of Jesus here today on Abounding Grace. Welcome to the program. We're in Luke chapter 8, verses 11 through 21, as well as Mark chapter 3, focusing our attention on the true family of God and just what that family looks like. Now, as we begin our time together today, we go back in time to take a look at one of the original family members, how he got there, and how glorious it is that you and I can consider him company in the true family of Jesus. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. You know, he, he came to Abraham in the era of Chaldees, that great moon-worshipping, idolatrous culture. And he said, in essence, to Abraham, I want you to follow me. I want you to get out of here. I want you to follow in my footsteps. And you and your descendants will be mine. And he has a claim on us by virtue of redemption. By the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we have been purchased for God And we do not belong to ourselves, beloved. Therefore, we must learn to view ourselves as God's children, as his property. We must learn to view our time, our energy, our money, our possessions, our families, not as our own personal property to be used in whatever way we want, but as God's property to be used whatever way he wants. Now, all of this may seem so obvious to you. But we need to remind ourselves of these things because God's claim is totally upon us. And you see, we forget as we get all tangled up in our daily lives. Remember, my house is God's house. My money is God's money. I can't just go out and spend it any way I want. I can't continue to allow myself to get into debt for things. My, my house is God's house, beloved. My car is God's car. My investments are God's investment. My time is God's time. My strength is God's strength. My family is God's family. And all of these things that he has claim over, we must use them and enjoy them only in this life according to his will, not ours. God said that David was a man after his own heart. Why? Because David lived in terms of this idea of adoption and property. When you read the Psalms, you see that David was conscious of the fact that God had claimed him as his son, even though he didn't deserve it. And as his son, he knew, he knew he was God's property. Go back and read the Psalms. It's all throughout. And God said of him, he is a man after my own heart because he will do my will. And that is the way a child of God who is the property of God lives. So the first thing you must understand in knowing the will of God and doing it is that you are God's child through faith in Christ and must see yourself as God's property. Second, if you're going to to know and to do God's will, you must earnestly and expectantly seek the knowledge of His will from the Bible and the wisdom to do that will from God through prayer. And in fact, that's what God taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
If we are going to do God's will on earth as it is in heaven, we must know what God's will is in order to do that will, right? So Jesus is saying, do you want to know what God's will is and do it? Then earnestly pray and cry out to God to help you read and understand the Bible correctly. Such as, give me the wisdom and skills, O Lord, and the courage to put your word into effect in my life, that I might do your will. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Here's a great prayer that Paul prays for the Christians in Colossae. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now Paul is praying here. He's praying that God would give the Colossae Christians knowledge, that God would help them to know Him better and be more understanding concerning His will for their life. So that, why? So they may walk the way He wants them to walk and bear the fruit that He wants them to bear. So if you want to do God's will, you must be in constant contact with Him, crying out to them, Lord, give me knowledge, give me wisdom, show me how to do Your will, tell me how to apply Your Word to my life. Third principle. If you're going to know and doing God's will in your life, you must continually devote your life to Jesus Christ, to His service, and to be governed by His will. If you're going to continually do God's will in your everyday life, you must every day devote your life to Christ, to His service, and be governed by His will. Romans 12, 1, through, and 1 and 2 says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, says Paul, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And you must do this every day of your life, beloved. Not just once. Oh, you know, I did that 26 years ago when I became a Christian. No. We are to keep on presenting ourselves. Keep on every day saying, Lord, I give myself to you afresh. I lay aside all claims on my own life and I put myself on the altar. I sacrifice myself and abandon all claims on myself and I pray that you will use me to do your will. Beloved, without that mindset, without that mentality, you are not going to be able to know or do God's will in your life. Fourth, Maintain a repentant and a teachable spirit so that you are always ready and eager and in a position to be taught God's Word by Christ's Spirit. One of the reasons we don't know God's will for our lives is that we are not in a condition for God to teach us because we're not humble and we're not repenting of our sins. And if we expect God to lead us in the doing of His will, then we must maintain a teachable spirit, always ready and eager to do whatever He wants us to do. Let me read to you some verses from Psalm 143. It's a great psalm of prayer for deliverance and guidance, and it is very worthy of considerable meditation, beloved. David is praying in verses 5 and 6, and he says, 
I remember the days of old. I meditate on all thy doings. I muse on the work of thy hands. My soul longs for thee as a parched land. David says, as, as, says many hours of my day are spent meditating on the goodness and the greatness and the majesty and the grace of Almighty God. Brethren, we must meditate on the things that God is doing in our lives. That's important in knowing God's will. Lift up your heart and your hands to Him, saying, Here I am again, Lord. I've been thinking about you again today. I love you, Lord, and I give myself to you afresh. Verse 8. Let me hear thy loving kindness in the morning, for I trust in thee. Teach me the way I should walk, for to thee I lift up my soul. Here David says, I devote myself to you, O Lord. I want to know these things. I am teachable. I'm open. I'm making myself vulnerable. Lord, Lord, teach me. Now verse 10. Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Let thy spirit lead me on level ground. For the sake of the name of our Lord, receive me in thy righteousness. Bring my soul out of trouble and in thy loving kindnesses. Cut off my enemies and destroy all those who affect my soul. For I am thy servant. I am Teachable, Lord. I'm, I'm open. Whatever needs to be corrected, whether it's in the way I think or the way I live, Lord, I am ready. I want you to correct me. And now, fifthly, if you want to know the will of God for your life, study the Bible. Carefully listen to it preached. And then more consistently do the will of God. And then the more clearly you will understand God's will for your life. The point is that the more consistently you do the will of God as you know it, the more clearly you will understand God's will for your life. Paul said in Colossians, remember, I am praying that you might have the knowledge of the will of God, that you may walk in a worthy manner of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So the longer, the more consistently you walk in obedience to God, the clearer God's will revealed in the Bible is going to be for your life. And the deeper and the broader your understanding of that will will be. Turn to chapter 7 John of John, verse 17. Here you have this point in even clearer biblical terms. John chapter 7, verse 17. If any man is willing to do God's will, he shall know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak for myself. Well, this is Jesus speaking here, remember. Let me read it to you again. John seven seventeen. If any man is willing to do God's will, he shall know for certain of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I am just expressing human opinions. Whether I speak for myself, he says. Now, there are four lessons we can learn from this one statement of Jesus. And the first is this. Something that I've already stated to you. Know God's will as you do God's will. You will know God's will as you do God's will. Write that on your heart, beloved. Memorize it. You know God's will as you do God's will. The longer, more consistently... You do God's will, the clear God's will is going to be for you. When you study the Bible, 
You hear it preached, you apply it to your life. As time goes on, you're going to look back at yourself, at your life, and you'll say, man, I've come so far in my understanding of God and His will for my life and my obedience to it. I still fall far short of the mark, but I had no idea how far I had come. But beloved, if you read the Bible and you listen to it preached just because it makes you feel warm and fuzzy all over, or because your spouse or parents make you come and you never leave this place with, with, with a renewed desire to do God's will. With all of your heart, you will never know God's will for your life. I, I think of Paul's description of some people. He, he said, they are ever learning, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. They're always reading the Bible. They're always reading good books about the Bible. They're always listening to sermons on CD, but they never come to the knowledge of the truth. Why? Because the knowledge of the truth is directly related to the doing of the truth. And it is only as you do the truth in your life that the knowledge of the truth will be clear to you. Second principle we learned from John 7.17 is this. If you do God's will, you become more assured of the Bible's divine origin and divine authority. Maybe you're having problems with these things. Maybe you're in college and you're learning a lot of skepticism of things you've been taught all your life. Questions you've never heard before. And maybe a little bit of the world's philosophy has crept into your thinking. And you're a bit concerned about it. As well, of course, your parents. How can you get a clearer, firmer assurance that the Bible originated with and is of divine authority? Do the will of God and you will know. Remember a little earlier, I read Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, about giving yourself as a living sacrifice. There Paul said, don't let this world squeeze you into its mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove the goodness and authority and the acceptability and the rationality of the word of God. That means in your own life, as you do what God commands you to do in His Word, regardless of your emotional state, regardless of your confusion, to the best of your ability, with the help of the Holy Spirit, then you are going to see the divine authority of the Bible make itself clear in your life, and you will become more and more assured. Confusion on the divine authority of Scripture and doubts of its usefulness in one's life is in direct relationship with the way a person lives. You ask the question, is the person attending church regularly? Is Sunday truly a day of rest and a trusting in God's provision? Is there regular personal worship and communication with God? Is there daily reading of God's Word? Anytime people become doubtful concerning the authority of the Word of God, there is a direct relationship between that and the way they live. That's why so many young people from Christians' home who go off into the secular work world and go off to college and sit under unbelieving professors leave the faith. If you want your assurance of divine authority of the Bible to be stronger, do the will of God and you will know whether what you are hearing is of God or whether it is of man. As you do God's will, you will become clearer in your thinking regarding what He wants you to do with your life. You'll become more knowledgeable and wiser. Do you know the difference between knowledge and wisdom? If you haven't been to Skip's uh, classes on Proverbs, you may not. They are directly related to righteousness. 
which is doing God's will. Knowledge is an understanding of God's will contained in the scriptures and wisdom is a practical skill to apply that understanding to everyday life. And the more you study the Bible, seek to understand God's will for your life, devote yourself to him, see yourself as God's property, pray for enlightenment and knowledge and wisdom, struggle against sin and put into effect the things that God commands you to do, then you are going to see this knowledge expand and you're going to see that you're ensuring assurance increases and you'll become wiser and you're going to become sharper in biblical things so that when decisions have to be made you're not going to sit there and vacillate over what you should do it's going to come to you quickly beloved it'll be second nature to you when you get in the habit of obeying God's word you don't have to sit back and think well you know I've invited, been invited to this movie today, but should I go to that bloody cult film tonight? And, and someone says, sure, it has a, a great philosophical point to it. And you could reason, well, you know, I'm supposed to be a son of Issachar and be a man who knows my times. I should know how other people live and what they think, so maybe I should go. No. The more you do God's will, the more it becomes a habit and the more readily it comes to you, not on your life. Here's what Dr. Rastuni said. To know God's doctrine, we must do God's will. Then we will know whether Christ speaks from God or from ordinary human sources. This knowledge has a moral and religious foundation. If any wills to do God's will, if he seeks actively and earnestly to obey God's law, he will know God's requirements on his life. Such knowledge is not simply an intellectual exercise. It requires a harmony of man's will and life with the law of God. And Jesus said something similar to this in John chapter 3 verses 20 and 21. He said, for everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be manifest as it have been wrought in God. Now, beloved, make sure you understand this because Jesus, as the light of the world, exposes the ungodly and their evil. Therefore, he will always, always be hated by ungodly people who are determined determined to live in ungodly ways. Why do you think our ungodly leaders want to strip any reference to God from the public square? And why do nominal Christians, Christians only in name, cry foul when we object to faggot marriages and when we strongly protest against government funds being spent to finance baby-killing centers under the guise of women's health issues? Conflict is inevitable between Jesus and a fallen world. And to try and avoid or reject that conflict is to deny God's revealed truths. We are at war. And to try and remain neutral and say Christians are to love everyone is as if it means that we are to allow evil to prevail is the denial of Christ himself and what he has saved us to do. Witnessing for Christ in a wicked world is not for lazy people, nor is it for cowards. If you think you can just go out into the world and make an impact for Christ without making any preparations, morally or intellectually, and hope you can reach people with God's truth, you are crazy. 
Lazy people will be worthless witnesses for Christ. Beloved, it takes earnest study, meditation on God's word, prayer, listening intently to the preaching of the word of God, and holding fast to an obedient life to be an effective witness. And witnessing for Christ is not for cowards. Because whenever Jesus Christ is proclaimed, there will be an exposure of evil. And then those who are not willing to turn from their evil ways will hate the light and he who brings it. So we must love the light and so hate darkness that we are willing to stand up for Christ every time he and his truths are attacked. And we must never compromise for any reason. Just like Daniel and David and Peter and Paul and of course Christ himself. We must notice in those words of Jesus that the person who continually and habitually puts God reveals truths into practice in his or her life comes into the light of infallible truth and ultimate fellowship with God. For 1 John 1, 5 through 7 tells us, God is the light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I love John Stout's comments on this text. He says, The effect of light is not to just make men see, but to enable them to walk. Right conduct, not just clear vision, is the benefit which light bestows. So when you walk in the truth and you practice the truth, the light increases and your conduct improves. And this is proof, beloved, that you are a true member of the family of God. In closing, listen to these words from the great Anglican Bishop of Liverpool, J.C. Ryle. He says... As we believe and walk in the light, we will become sons or children of the light. The relationship is formed between us and Christ and is strengthened as we obey his word. We also can see that implied in this passage is the importance with which Jesus views submitting to his father's will. Nothing was to supersede the father's will in the life of Christ. Family ties are important and Jesus loved his mother. Boy, did he love his mother. And his family. However, we're taught that the relationship we have to Jesus far exceeds that of any earthly relationship. If we are believers, Jesus is our brother. If we are believers, then God is our father. His will must be our first priority. Jesus is also saying that if our hearts are changed and we follow his word, we are closer to him than his earthly relations. We can be closer to Christ than his mother as we follow his word, when we hear his words and do them, we are truly children of God. In 1 John 2.17 we read, The world is passing away and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God abides forever. So then, beloved, live out the rest of your life as a child of God, not in some half-hearted way, but diligently doing the will of your Father who is in heaven. Show to the world that you are a courageous child of the King of all creation, your Father. All we should ever want to do is to please our Father by doing His will. 
And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in Him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Dot org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, Post Mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener supported, which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are two in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found, again, at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless.